Welcome to Labour Days, a podcast about trade union issues and labour history. This is episode 21. It's a mini episode this month and another sort of live episode as we bring you a talk that our co-host Daniel gave at the recent Southampton Transformed event in June. Um, If you're not aware, the World Transformed uh, is a political festival launched by Momentum as a fringe event at Labour Party conference, but have started uh, sponsoring, uh, co-hosting local festivals of political education around the country. Um, Labour Days has had some involvement with the World Transformed in the past. Uh, If you go back to episode 16, you'll hear uh, content from a panel we were involved in about political education in the Labour movement. Uh, That was uh, last year at uh, the World Transformed uh, Fringe event at Labour Party conference. Um, The panel Daniel's speaking on uh, in the uh, contribution you're about to hear at Southampton Transformed was about grassroots organising. Some of the themes that we talked about in episode 18. Uh, the other people on the panel were Sophia from the Brighton branch of the Tenants Union Acorn, Callum Kant from Notes From Below, and Simon Cotton, a council worker and Unite steward in Southampton. Uh, Daniel's contribution focuses on what it means to have a rank and file approach to workplace activism. So without further ado, here's Daniel's talk. Grand, thanks very much. So my name's Daniel Randall. Um, I'm a railway worker. I work on the underground in London where I'm a RMT rep. I'm also a member of the socialist group Workers' Liberty, and as I mentioned, I co-host Labour Days, which is a, a monthly podcast about trade union issues um, and uh, labour history and, and workers' struggle. Um, so the, the title of this session, uh, I think, asked how can the labour movement organise in a way that includes everyone? Um, and I'm going to approach that mainly by talking about, about trade unions and then um, talking about trade union democracy and what I would describe as a rank-and-file approach um, to trade union organising. And just so I can kind of get a sense of uh, who's in the room, if you're currently involved in trade union and workplace activity or have been in the past, could you put your hands up? Okay, cool. That's, um, that's, that's good. Um, so hopefully we're, there's a bit of a kind of shared frame of reference um, in the room around these issues. So I, I, I want to start by talking about why I think trade unions and workplace organising is so central for socialists. Um, Because capitalism, I believe, is most fundamentally and essentially expressed through the exploitation of workers by bosses, which most fundamentally happens, so to speak, in the workplace. So therefore, struggles in the workplace, worker struggles, have a unique potential to challenge, subvert, and ultimately overthrow capitalism. And I should make clear that that's a, that's a structural analysis, it's not a moral judgment. That's not to say that workplace struggles, industrial struggles are more worthy or more important even than struggles on other terrains such as housing that we've just heard about. And indeed, without a relationship to wider political perspectives and wider struggles on issues like housing, but including around things like gender, race, sexuality and, and other what might be called axes of oppression, industrial and workplace struggles can tend towards quite short-term and sectional um, perspectives. Um, Conversely, though, via a relationship with workers' struggles, struggles against other oppressions can gain a more expansive and fundamental social power. Um, For a really inspiring example of how this dynamic can work, um, I'd encourage everyone to look at the history of um, the Builders' Labourers' Federation in New South Wales, which was a construction workers' union um, in Australia in the 1970s. 
uh, which was uh, very radical, rank-and-file-led, and whose members, construction workers, um, leveraged their own class power, not only in furtherance of their own immediate economic interests, but also in the interests of environmental struggles, LGBT rights, women's rights, indigenous people's rights, and so on. So they were construction workers who, for, for example, refused to work on ecologically unsustainable building sites. Um, very inspiring history, and I think quite germane to what we're talking about in this session. Um, if you prefer to receive your information in film form, there's a really good film about uh, that whole movement called Rocking the Foundations, which is on YouTube. Um, so my perspective, uh, in the interest of kind of setting out my stall, um, which, which I hope is, is one shared by at least some of the people in this room, is that socialist transformation requires a combative and democratic workers' movement. Um, unfortunately, and I'm now going to move on to what might be a slightly more depressing phase of this talk, uh, the labour movement that we have, the trade union movement that we have certainly, is a long way from being either as combative or as democratic as we need it to be to achieve those things. Um, the levels of strikes at the moment are at a historic low. Um, union membership in this country is half what it was at its height in 1979. Trade union membership did rise slightly in the last year, which is obviously very encouraging. That's after a period of stagnation and decline. There are vastly fewer elected workplace reps now than there were uh, in that late 1970s, early 80s period of the height of union organisation. Perhaps most worryingly, and this is something that might come up in the discussion, um, almost 40% of union members are aged 50 and over, with just 4% aged between 16 and 24. Um, with some notable recent exceptions, most national industrial disputes end in defeat, or more recently, end before they've even begun due to draconian anti-union legislation, which is something I'll be talking a little bit about um, later on. Um, there are acute problems with representation in many unions. So my own union, RMT, we've just elected our first female national president in our union's entire history. Um, and I think a lot of unions have similar problems in terms of the marginalisation of sections of the membership, and particularly sections of the membership that face kind of additional struggles in the workplace and in society. Um, there are exceptions to that very depressing picture, and I think in different ways the organising work that's sort of represented on this panel um, represents some of those exceptions, and that they're definitely part of the solution. They're, 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 we've seen recently in two unions, the PCS and the UCU, the election of kind of oppositional rank-and-file candidates to uh, quite, quite senior officer positions, and there's also a milieu of small, um, what might be called kind of independent, non-mainstream unions, uh, like the IWGB, UVW, unions that people might have heard of and that I think we might be hearing about later as well, which is the site of a lot of important and inspiring organising. But I think we still need upheaval and transformation in the, 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 what, what might be termed the mainstream of the labour movement, in the major unions, in the mass of the trade union movement. And I think without such transformation, we're not going to win socialism. And I know it sounds quite grandiose to move from a discussion about quite molecular sort of day-to-day -day organizing against very immediate struggles and then talking about, okay, how are we going to win socialism? But I think we need, we need that kind of horizon. And I think that's what events like this are for, is for combining both of those sort of horizons and perspectives. Um, so how can we transform the labor movement? Uh, I'm going to suggest three broad headings, um, which I've given what I hope are slightly contentious titles in the hope of generating some debate. So I'm going to introduce those headings and then that'll be my talk and then um, people can respond in the discussion if they're inclined to. So the first heading uh, is out with the old, in with the old. 
the second heading is uh, why Len McCluskey should, and other general secretaries should have their pay cut. And uh, the third heading is revolutionary trade unionist careers advice. Uh, so the first one, out with the old, in with the old. Um, I think to transform the labour movement, to make it more inclusive, uh, as, as the title of the session talks about, but, but also to prepare it to fight for workers' power, I think we really need an overhaul in the entire conception of what the endeavour of trade unionism is. And I think to the extent that that's really thought about at all, the purpose of trade unionism is widely understood, including by lots of trade union members, and I know this from my experience as a workplace rep, as being fundamentally akin to an insurance policy, that you pay a fee to an external body to render you a service in case you get in trouble at work. Um, and to return to the title of the session about inclusivity, there's nothing inclusive about that model. It's very passive. It's about service provision. It renders the union as something external to you that you're paying to, to provide you a service. And I think this conception needs junking. Um, historically, we can look to the period of what was called new unionism in the late 19th century for an alternative. So in that period, workers who'd previously been on the margins of the official labour movement, including many women, migrant and so-called unskilled workers, built powerful new trade unions based on an offensive conception of what trade unionism was. So the union wasn't there to protect sectional interests. It wasn't there to provide individual services. It wasn't an insurance policy. It was a weapon in the hands of members to undertake direct action to improve their material conditions. And that, that's the kind of old that I think we need to rediscover, the old new, if you like. Um, I think there is something of that offensive, combative spirit in some struggles that we, that we see going on around us today, and I think that spirit needs to be generalised and made the rule rather than the exception. Um, so, second subject heading, why Len McCluskey and other general secretaries should have their pay cut. Um, I think we have, and you'll have experienced this undoubtedly if you're a trade union activist yourself, a huge democratic deficit in the trade union movement today. There is frequently a yawning gulf between the day-to-day -day workplace struggles of rank-and-file workers and the leadership of our unions. To become effective, I think we need a democratic revolution in the trade union movement. Um, the aim of this revolution, I would argue, should be to minimise, in figurative terms but also literally, uh, the distance between the workplace and the union structure. So decision-making should take place at the lowest possible level in the union, branches or workplace groups. And if a group of workers want to launch an industrial dispute, if they want to have a, a, a strike or, or take action against their employer, union structures should facilitate them doing that rather than hold them back. Um, currently, I believe the Communication Workers Union, the CWU, is the only TUC-affiliated union where branches or workplace groups can launch industrial disputes and hold ballots without requiring sanction from some higher body or committee within the union. Um, often the processes by which these... Uh, sanctions and permissions are obtained are incredibly Byzantine and obviously designed to discourage workers from taking action. I mean, if you've ever had the experience of trying to see through the process of starting a dispute in your workplace through to actually going on strike, if you're a member of one of the kind of mainstream bureaucratic unions, you've probably experienced having obstacle after, unless, unless you're quite lucky locally with your regional official or whatever, you've probably had the experience of having obstacle after obstacle put in your path. And I think that's something we need to overcome. Union officials need to be accountable. Anyone with involvement in direct union activity at any level should be elected and recallable, rather than the current situation where most unions have huge apparatuses of largely unelected officials, um, not directly accountable to union members, but accountable to the union, kind of to the 
union structure as an employer, as, as their boss. Um, often people who've never worked in the industry that they're now attempting to organise, and often people who are paid salaries vastly in excess of, of the people they're attempting to organise. Hence the subject heading about Len McCluskey having his pay cut. Um, I think the principle of workers' representatives on workers' wages should apply. I think all union officials, from general secretaries like Len McCluskey, Mark, so I'm just picking on him because he's one people will know, um, Len McCluskey, Mark Swatka, all of them, should have their salaries pegged in some way to the average pay rates of their members, rather than being paid salaries that give them lifestyles closer to the big bosses than uh, to the workers they represent. I mentioned the recent election of a, a kind of oppositional rank-and-file candidate in the PCS. John Maloney is a comrade of mine, is elected as Assistant General Secretary of the PCS, um, committing to refuse the £90,000 salary afforded to that role and to only take the average wage of a PCS member um, in, his, in his region. I think that policy should be the default for any socialist standing for a senior officer position. How am I doing for time, by the way? You don't know. Thanks very much. Um, well, I'm conscious of not wanting to just talk for too long. I want to leave plenty of time for discussion. Um, oh, we've got time. Okay, good. That's, yeah. that's good to hear. Um, I think this democratic revolution in the trade unions also needs to be a democratic revolution in the Labour movement's political wing, the Labour Party. And I think you can see how far we still have to go in those terms if you look at um, the question, for example, of, of the anti-trade union laws. So successive Labour Party conferences have passed policy calling for the abolition of all anti-trade union laws. But whenever Labour leaders talk about the issue, they only ever really commit to repealing the most recent set of anti-union laws, the 2016 Trade Union Act. And I think there's a, there's a clear democratic deficit there. So just as a quick plug, if you're interested in um, campaigning activity around that, u that issue specifically, fighting the anti-union laws, um, then you can check out the Free Our Unions campaign. I actually didn't put this here, but... That's so, fine, I just left it on the table. Okay, well, that's very Chief convenient. Plug, so yeah. um, the Free Our Unions campaign, which has published this um, pamphlet, uh, which is backed by the IWGB, who I've mentioned, the FBU at national level, Fire Brigades Union, and a range of other... Um, local and regional labour movement bodies that's doing campaign work around that question. Um, so the third subject heading, and this is, this is the point I'll, I'll conclude on, uh, which was revolutionary trade unionist careers advice. Um, and this is kind of an appeal to the people in the room. Uh, ideas only influence material reality when they inform the application of human will. So in other words, none of the kind of things we're talking about here today, either anything that we heard about in the first contribution or the kind of democratic reforms and transformation of the labour movement that I'm talking about will happen unless people like us, like you, consciously fight for it and, and make it happen. So the democratic revolution I've talked about will, I believe, require rank and file networks within and between unions consciously advocating programmes of democratic reform and fighting for more militant and combative industrial strategies. Now, those bodies, those rank-and-file networks don't exist, and it's the job of us, of you, of people like us in this room and at this event to launch them. And I think you can do this work most effectively if you're in the thick of it. So my careers advice here, which I guess is mainly addressed to, to younger people in the room or, or, or students if you're thinking about what job to get, um, is that if you want to be effective as a socialist activist, you should get a job that allows you to be a workplace troublemaker and a rank-and-file agitator for democratic reform within trade unions. So come and work with me on the railway. It's great. There's no more empowering feeling than going on strike and seeing you, the act of you and your colleagues leveraging your, your power and a transport system shutting down. Um, and, and that has an application 
right the way across all sorts of different jobs. So become a railway worker, become a firefighter, an IT worker, a nurse, a care worker, a school maintenance worker. That list is obviously not exhaustive, they're just a few examples. If you're somebody who wants to fuck up capitalism, and I presume you are because you're at this event, then put yourself in its engine room. If you want a better, more democratic and more combative trade union movement, then put yourself at its grassroots. If we want a socialist revolution, I certainly do, uh, then we need to revolutionise the movement that's going to make that revolution, the working class movement, the labour movement, and no one is going to do it for us. It's up to us to do it, um, and that's the note I want to end on. So uh, thanks very much for listening, and uh, I'll leave it there.